morning, good afternoon, and good night. <laughs> I'm Nick, the me part, and right where, Mr. 80s. Hey everybody, it's Daryl. Thanks a lot for joining us again for the Me and Mr. 80s podcast. The podcast that is setting the world ablaze. With a hot foot? <laughs> <laughs> With hot foot. Or chicken foot. <laughs> Today we're talking about 80s fads. Yeah. Which is interesting because the 70s were kind of the hotbed of fads. You know, when you talk about fads, people automatically say the pet rock, don't they? Oh, yeah. And the pet rock is kind of the, the big fad, which apparently happened in the 1970s. I don't remember it. <laughs> no. But we're talking about 80s fads. And we've kind of stretched the definition of fad a little bit, I think, to uh, incorporate all the wonderful things you might remember about the 80s. Yes. Love them or hate them. <laughs> and we start with the Rubik's Cube, which in our, on our last show, we had the Rubik's Cube versus Pac-Man for 80s icon. We went with Pac-Man. But the Rubik's Cube was still significant. Still a great fad. I mean, I, I, did you own one? Of course. All right. I, I did too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you solve it? Without Hell. breaking it in three Hell no. <laughs> I never did either. I mean, I never really... It was one of those things that someone, you know, just gave as a present, and it just sort of sat there and looked cool, and every so often you just sort of play with it a little, and but I never really... I, you know, now that I, I know that it is some sort of like geek icon to, you know, figure out how fast you can do it, I was like, oh, I should go out and buy one just to try and play it, but I have not. I still have mine in my attic. I should probably get it and put it on my desk at work or something. Yeah. It's a, that's a cool iconic image. And it, I mean, it's, it's an original too, because if, oh. if you'll recall, you know, like every department store, had their own version of it, and the only way you could tell was because Rubik's Cube on the white side in the middle had that little Rubik's sticker. And you know, then Rubik went on to... Well, the craziest thing about the Rubik's Cube to me was the, the, the other products they started making. Like, remember mm-hmm. the Rubik's Pyramid, <laughs> which was the Rubik's Cube in the shape of a triangle. Of course. And the Rubik's Snake, which really wasn't even a puzzle. It was like a toy. Which was really cool. I loved the Rubik's Snake. Anybody remember the Rubik's Snake? Remember the Rubik's Snake? I, I don't think I do. It's very hard to explain if you don't have one, because it was really a series of triangles, uh, little plastic triangles. And so, like, one will be pointing up, the next one will be pointing down, the next one up, the next one down, so that it kind of forms this big, long... So it's oh, it's like one long strand. One long strand, but it's hinged where the triangles meet, and so you can so bend you it. Roll into a ball, you can and then bend can... it into different shapes and stuff okay. like that. And so Actually, I, I, that does sound familiar. That thing I, I loved. I played with that thing for hours. And, and what kind of uh, obnoxiously phallic things did you play? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> really, I didn't. I, a little young for that kind of humor at the time, so. I realize I'm saying it, well, I played with my snake a lot. Uh, Rubik's snake. Uh, and video games. And video games really do count as a fad in the 80s because they came and they went. Oh, yeah. A lot of people forget the video games had a definite beginning 
and a definite end as far as the 1980s Absolutely. are concerned. And that's really kind of an interesting thing to talk about because probably most of the people that listen to the show are aware of the humble beginnings of the home video game, which actually began in the 70s with these consoles that were kind of self-contained, right? Like, wasn't there the something like the video arcade and it had like six games built into it or something? Um, well, the the first one that I know of was the uh, Bally. And you had mentioned that on the last episode. Yeah. I'm not familiar that, with it. That we, we actually owned that. That was the first... Uh, there was some sort of like patent race as to who would come out first and Bally's won. And it had... It was almost like um, you had something you would, you know, a shaft to grip, and then at the top was kind of this twistable knob mm-hmm. that you can move around, and that was the, its version of a joystick. Mm-hmm. But it was all just Pong games. So there was, you know, a console, and, you know, sometimes it was one Pong game, and then it was, you know, sometimes you had 12 pads, and sometimes you had six pads, and, you know, you could have... And it, it was really the most basic of black and white um, video gaming, but that was the first one, and then, you know, the 2600 came out, or the VCS, I think they also called it, so that was the the, the cursor, the, the, the one that everyone remembers, because was, Bally's was a r- really small, limited run. Was the 2600, was that 4-bit or was that 8-bit? I always get confused about the bits. 8-bit. So does that mean that Intellivision and ColecoVision were then 16-bit? Because I know the graphics dramatically improved from the 2600. Well, actually, no, I guess that maybe that must have been. That was 4-bit because then cause, uh, Nintendo was the 8-bit. And then Super Nintendo was 16. Really? Okay. So we can't really divide it up as much as I thought. Because the whole thing I'm trying to get to is really you know, once, once the 2600 comes onto the scene, which I think it really had kind of started creeping into homes, maybe even in 79, but wouldn't you say that maybe it's like 81 where it just blows up and like all of a sudden every all the cool kids have got a 2600? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was really its takeoff. And by 1983, the bottom has dropped out of the industry. So from 81 to 83, we go from the 2600 to the ColecoVision to the Intellivision to the 5200 to the 7800. To the Jaguar, right? The Jaguar maybe it was 84. I think Jaguar was the attempt at digging out. Yeah. But all this stuff is happening, and then the bottom falls out. Yeah. And everybody blames it on E.T. Yes. That was the, <laughs> that was the, somewhere, somewhere there's a landfill filled with E.T.'s, apparently. <laughs> so most of you probably know this story, but for those who don't, we'll try to be brief. E.T., obviously, is the biggest movie on the planet in 1982. Into 1983, and they're trying to rush release a video game of E.T. to market in time. on a wonderful success. In time for Christmas. And and, at that point, it was just kind of automatic. It was like, well, we've got this big movie. We've got to have, we've got to have a video game tie in, and we've got to have it by Christmas. And so that was the driver. The driver was not, ooh, we've got this cool game. Based on ET, the driver was well. We got to have it. We got to have it out by this date. And I think and I we don't really that. care how good or bad it is. Exactly, because the kids will buy it and they'll love Absolutely. it because it's ET and it's video and it's this coming together of these two pop culture icons. And I think I remembered hearing something like the development for it was five weeks. Yeah, which, which is insane. If, you know, even for even for small little you know low bit 
video games like that, that's still an insane. And the problem is, even as simple as the programming was at that time, because of the limitations of the technology, it still took a very long time to get that stuff translated to the screen because of the limited technology. Exactly. So it's not like because the technology was simpler, they could rush this stuff through and still have it be yeah, It's okay. simple based on this time, but it doesn't mean it was simple to do right. back at that time. And so they flood the market with these E.T. video games in time for Christmas. Truly flooded. <laughs> Overpriced, overstocked, oversold, over everything. Do you, even, do you remember how much a video game cartridge went for back then? It was like 20, 30 bucks. It had to have been. I mean, I, you know, it, yeah, well, I, I remember it just always being a ridiculously overpriced, but I, I, you know, nowadays I can't tell. Well, I mean, cause for the time, you know, $30, I mean, right now video games, what the hot ones that go for like 50, 60 bucks. 60 bucks. Yeah. So back then, you know, 20, $30 for a video game cartridge. I mean, it, it kind of hurt. That was, that was expensive. Then I'm sure that E.T. was a high price one. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was the highest priced. I never got to play it, but I hear that it was... I did, and it was awful. Absolute crap. That, it you made know, no sense. Kids put this cartridge in on Christmas morning, and were just kind of like, what is this crap? Yeah. And, yeah. You, I, I remember something about like falling in a pit or if you did something wrong and you didn't know how to get out and someone was chasing you, but you didn't really know what to do and the instructions weren't very helpful and... You know, yeah, nothing, yeah, it was, you're kind of wandering through this thing that may have supposed to be like a forest, but it kind of just looked like this digital shit thrown on the, you know, it's just, yeah, everything about it was just terrible. But, you know, and, you know, even to this day, the concept of a movie tie-in video game is still the same. They put it out there because they know that either you'll buy it because you like the movie and you think you're going to be, or they it, or they, they work on the grandparent contingent. Oh, little Johnny loved that movie. I'll just go buy him that video game. And for some fucking reason, it still works. They still, to this day, one of the, I just was watching uh, X-Play, um, was giving their, you know, worst of the years. Thor was the worst, one of the worst video games you know, they were of decades now. They just said it was just the biggest pile of shit. They, you know, horrible graphics, terrible gameplay, offensively bad. <laughs> but you know that thing still sold a ton of things just because the, grand, the grandparent time. factor yeah. is a good explanation. It really is. When you don't know what to buy a kid, you just go, oh, well, I know he saw that movie. Had to be hip and cool. <laughs> And it all started back from E.T. Because if you got to think, you know... I broke my hip and I'm always cool. <laughs> Give me a sweater. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh... So word gets out after Christmas morning, 1983, that the E.T. video game blows chunks. Crime so against humanity. Yes. So people stop buying them. Uh, I'm still not quite sure how... Failure to buy one video cartridge kills an entire industry, but it happened. <laughs> well, it was definitely, I think it was the the concept of, uh, um, uh, as they, uh, I just was watching, you know, uh, episode one, the vote of no confidence <laughs> um, for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah. And, uh, you know, that basically 
people took that, they were so offended by the fact that it was such a terrible done movie. All the kids were let down, and they stopped buying video games because of it. Not just that one, but all across the board. And they, and at, at some point, people started going, wow, these, vac- the, these games aren't that good, the graphics aren't that good, I just give up. It's and, not like there was another video game that they were buying instead. They just stopped buying all of them. And I, I think that the the flooding of the market with the different systems also had to have something to do with it because of the fact the Intellivision, the ColecoVision, which were marketed as being, you know, really so much better than the 2600, and they did enjoy some success. Mm-hmm. But then your next gens after that with the Atari 5200, which was supposed to compete with those, and then the 7800, and I think that paired with... This crappy game. I think a lot of parents were like, screw it, you know, I'm not buying you any more game systems because there's too many coming out. And then kids got bored or they broke and they weren't replaced. And then the next thing you know, it's just, it's, it's over. And, and I mean, when it was over, people thought that it was gone for good forever. And it was until the NES came out, which was that 1989, 1990? I think it was, yeah, like, I, I think it, 89 was like limited release and then the next Christmas of 90 was when it, you know, went mass. So we're talking six or seven years where video games were dead. And I'm talking dead as a freaking doornail. And that is a long time for any pop culture landscape. Um, especially since arcades were still incredibly popular. You know, you could still go to arcades, you know, in, you know, 87. And there's tons of games out there, but they just weren't getting ported into home systems anymore. Although I gotta tell you, I mean, pretty much once the home video thing, the home video gaming died off, the arcades died off too, and it was, uh, oh, well, you know, you no longer. It was the slow you know, decline, yes. But. Aladdin's Castle was moving out of the mall, and you know, every, uh, you know, all those convenience stores that had stuck a game in there, they started disappearing. Well, I, mean, I, I had had a job. For what was it, like six months where I worked at an Aladdin's Castle in 97? 97? Yeah. You remember that? 1997. Yeah. I was working at, uh, um, Chapel Hill, not Chapel, uh, Canton, what is the, the big Canton one? Belden? Belden. Yeah. Hmm. I was working there because it was, it was after Blockbuster Music and it was after, uh, The Shed. I do vaguely remember that. It wasn't very long because uh, you know, I was a manager there, and they wanted me to take this store in another location that was even worse than the one I was at. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, why am I here? <laughs> so I got out of that and moved on to something else. But, but, it's, yeah. it's the, the, but it, that, was, that was its uh, last hurrah there, too. But it's, just, it's, it's really remarkable how a, an entire entertainment medium that had died. I mean, it came back like Lazarus because it was it was dead. And I think people that uh, were you know, maybe not uh, of age to notice those kinds of things at that particular time, they don't realize that what might seem like just a small blip in the video game spectrum, I mean, th- there was not a continuum. It stopped. And then it, it all changed with the NES. Yeah. Thank heavens it did, too, because I love video games. <laughs> And kind of a tie-in to video games and E.T., uh, I think another fad for the 80s, I'll just throw this one out there, is sci-fi movies. I think that sci-fi movies really came into the mainstream 
in the 80s, largely to do with the success of the Star Wars films. But it just seemed like sci-fi movies were everywhere in the <laughs> 80s. That's true. I mean, you can think of some you know, big ones, you know, Last Starfighter and Tron. Tron. I mean, those were... The Black Hole. <laughs> God, I haven't seen that in ages, but I like that one. Which that is was... not as bad as people say it is. That was Ernest Borgnine, wasn't it? Probably. It was Disney <laughs> trying to do Star Wars. Yeah. It was cute, and it had the little robots, and the uh, Maximilian something or other was the evil guy. And it was kind of like if Hanna-Barbera had tried to do a Kubrick movie. <laughs> That's a great analogy. And I think it worked. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. Yes. Yeah, wow. Gosh, I'm going to have to find that and watch that. I haven't, I haven't seen that in a long time. It is. It's kind of like Hanna-Barbera's version of 2001. It's got very dark overtones. Yeah, especially for a Disney film. And it moves very slow, which is why people were pissed off. Yeah, but I I remember seeing that in the theaters when it came out, and I liked it. Yeah, there was a lot of... I mean, uh, Total Recall was a a big uh, Schwarzenegger hit. That was sci-fi, where he was was getting to Mars. Was it it really 90? That was 90. Wow. Okay, well, I threw that uh, yeah, one out I, there. I, 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 the Star Trek movies were all coming out. In the, uh, the That is the, true. Star Wars, the motion picture, was 79, but Khan came out in 82 and rescued the franchise. Yeah, that first one. And then it kind of peaked. It kind of peaked in 86 with part four. Which was the best comedy movie of, uh, of their series. So, so, so that means the third one was Search for Spock? Yes. And then, so then the fourth one is called... Coming Home. And then the fifth one is Undiscovered Country, right? Yes. And I think that was when they started doing the switch into uh, the next generation stuff where they were generations. So pretty much of, of the Star Trek movies with the original cast, they made two good ones? Um, Being Khan and Coming went, Home? Yeah, I mean, three, yeah, one and three were... Uh, one was really boring. I mean, it was that, oddly enough, you know, uh, people always, you know, the episode one is being released in 3D, and mm-hmm. I'm being debated as the fact that I would love to see it just for interest's sake, except for the fact that I really don't like the movie that much. No, it's a terrible movie. Yeah, and I just tried watching it on Blu-ray, and it is still the fact that Jar Jar Binks is a fucking horrible character. <laughs> just ruins that movie. I mean, it's not really... George Lucas ruins it by not being a really great writer. But the addition of Jar Jar, I've always wanted to see someone went through and edited him out of the entire movie and then put it in. The Phantom Edit. Yes, and I would love to see that because I I would love to see just what it's like to not have him in it. Uh, I I posted on Facebook uh, this week on my personal page uh, that George Lucas is coming out with Extra special editions of the Star Wars films. Of course, yes. And the bonus footage will include him wiping his ass with the original negatives <laughs> and urinating on letters he's received from children. <laughs> but no, he did it all for the kids. The kids love Jar Jar. Really? I don't believe that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm, <laughs> I'm done supporting George Lucas because he's... He's not really a human being. He's a pile of feces. <laughs> He's a pile of feces with an ugly beard. 
And he can, he can kiss my white ass. He's not getting another dime from me. <laughs> uh, the first three movies are truly one of you know the three best movies ever. I mean, yep. they're, I just love them completely. And I do. I, I think I, I was one of the few people who actually liked the second, what is it, episode two, uh, clone something or other, uh, whatever their titles are. But, you know, I, I, I did think that was a good movie, and I did like the third one. But well, his, as far as like is not anywhere close to what I think about the first three. Uh, we're going off on a tangent here, <laughs> but since we're there, I've got to tell you, his love of digital effects is insane. It looks <laughs> like a fucking cartoon. And it totally pulls you out of the movie. Yeah, he he really he That's needs why when someone he, to when, tell him no. When he started doing the Clone Wars on the Cartoon Network, mm-hmm. I was like, this is what he should be doing. He should just be doing a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Don't even put human beings in it. Because <laughs> you love your freaking digital effects so much, and they look like a cartoon. Just make cartoons. Just, just make cartoons. Have you watched any of the cartoons? No. <laughs> go do those. I don't give a fuck what they are, but just go do those. Just go do them and leave me alone. You know. Stop raping my childhood, you bitch. I was trying to avoid saying that. <laughs> I know. But he did. <laughs> All of our childhoods. He's a serial rapist. George Lucas is human feces and a serial rapist. There, I said it. All right. I think two entertainment fads, uh, they don't qualify as fads, but uh, cable TV and the VCR. Ooh. Ah, the old cable, you know, the old VCRs with the big monster things with the <laughs> pop-up and that every uh, school had. When it comes to, when it comes to entertainment, your, your parents are pretty much early adopters, right? Oh, yeah. Whereas my uh, my parents uh, my parents got their first VCR in 1991, wow. so I had a very deprived childhood because, except for the two years that we lived in Florida, I did not have cable TV, and the only reason we had cable TV in Florida is because my father said because of all the hurricanes, it didn't make any sense to have a TV antenna. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, so basically, I had a childhood that was deprived of cable television and a VCR. Wow. Now, I'm sure, though, that you probably you probably got your first VCR in 1972, right? Well, we... You grew up with it. We had cable TV before I, I lived in Denver and uh, then in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then moved to Ohio. So in... I got to think, it must have been... Must have been. I thought maybe it was Denver, but I, I'm not sure. So that would have been. I would have been maybe six, <laughs> and we had the earliest of cable televisions, you know. The and then when we got to Ohio, we had gotten the. Uh, they actually had an interactive pad, where they would have you could actually vote on videos from your uh, wired pad. <laughs> yeah. You know, so they had the. It was like the beginning of before Paper MTV video. had even been created. Oh, okay. They had created a concept where they would put together things and that you could vote on and watch. And yeah, so and you, we were, uh, we had the VCR. We actually had a, a laser disc, you know, like one of the first laser discs that they actually wanted us to test, you know, for like a year before they 
you know, mass marketedly put those out. I don't even remember. So what why was it like having that. to stop every half hour and flip over the movie? Was it irritating? Did it totally pull you out of the experience, or was it worth it to have the movie? It was. For those of you who don't realize, uh, laser discs were the size of LPs, and they worked like LPs because they had content on both sides. And at that point, each side held roughly 30 minutes, and so you would have to, for a standard movie, you would have to flip the disc three times. Yeah. So what content. was that like? Really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you know, it's a terrible idea. You know, they, and it, it wasn't like, I was, you know, thinking that maybe it had better quality than a VCR and stuff, but not really. I really? Mean, it, you know, I, I actually have one now. Someone gave me one. So we have, we have a, a, a laser disc player and like a hundred classic movies oh my god i had no idea yeah yeah and i i was like oh wow this is gonna be great to watch all these old classics but it basically looks like the quality of a vcr it's just on a disc instead of on a tape so it's not you you get to flip it every half hour yeah and and the tape would be much easier because you don't have to flip the stuff at least it's all on one tape yeah so um yeah, it, it, I was I was surprised and, and having seen it now that it isn't as good a quality because I remember you know back in the day that I was like oh wow look at this is so great looking mm-hmm. no not really well I was I was God how I envied the kids in my neighborhood who had cable TV let alone a VCR how did you how did you live through the 80s without cable TV you oh. have to go to everyone else's house to Watch MTV or something. Let me tell you, it blew. I remember having, I had to walk through the snow to my friend's house to watch one of the world premieres of Thriller. My first experience with a VCR, I'm like eight or nine years old. And I go to a birthday party in my neighborhood. And uh, the child's mother has rented some videos for us. One of them being... The Road Warrior. <laughs> How old are you? Like eight or nine years old. <laughs> wow. And The Road Warrior is an excellent movie. Yes. Completely inappropriate for eight or nine-year-old oh. children. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what is that in the kids section? What the hell? <laughs> no, no mother of the year awards for this mom. I mean, it had the R rating. Clearly on the package. I'm sure what it was is that her son, the birthday boy, was like, I want to see the Road Warrior. <laughs> and so she's like, okay. All right, sure. And Does she actually let you guys watch it? We watch she- the freaking... She puts the tape in and leaves the room. <laughs> so there we are watching the freaking Road Warrior, eight or nine years old. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that experience because it was just so weird. I mean, I'm sitting there going... I should not be watching this. <laughs> I am enjoying this in protest. I should not be watching this. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so every time I watch The Road Warrior, I rem- I'll briefly remember, hey, the first time I saw this, it was a wildly inappropriate situation. Do you remember uh, Magnets on the Box? Did you ever do that? Uh-uh. Okay, that, this was something one of my friends found out, that if you 
took uh, like a snack, a stack of like those little circular black magnets, uh-huh. and you put it on the back of the back of the uh, place, and you found the right spot. Somehow those magnets would unlock the channels you weren't supposed to get. Oh, for the cable so, for the so, cable box? Yes, so you could watch porn channels. Oh my god. So, you know, we're I, just, I love old technology because it could be defeated by magnets. <laughs> magnets. <laughs> that just to me sounds like like the worst job of, you know, security. <laughs> I mean, defeated by by five or six magnets. <laughs> wasn't there a wasn't there a cable box that uh, that John had that uh, he found that if he put the pay per view channel like if he hit the pay per view channel button it would come on for a brief second and so he somehow did something with like a rubber band and a pencil to like hold the button down and he was able to watch pay per view boxing without paying for it that way <laughs> that's but neat. I can't remember what it what it was. How he got that to work, but yeah, just you know, being able to defeat, being able to defeat high tech stuff with a pencil, a rubber band, magnets, <laughs> MacGyver, mm-hmm. <laughs> freaking awesome. But you know, cable TV and the VCR—they really did kind of change the entertainment landscape. Oh hell yeah! And really, the, the funny thing about the funny thing about premium cable, especially, is you know, for forty years now. We have definitive proof that many Americans are willing to pay extra money to hear the F word and see boobs. Yes. And yet the broadcast networks are still dealing with these ridiculous content restraints. Well, Although apparently not on showing violence. Because <laughs> we are a bunch of prudes. Uh, <laughs> you can you can be as violent as you want. And, you know, frankly, the you know CSI world that we're living in now is proven to you that you know you can see as many hacked and you know chop oh god i was watching uh daily show uh recently and for some reason they were making fun of the fact of uh what you can see on television you know you can't see this you can't see that and then well but you what you can see during prime time and they put on a clip that lasted probably a minute worth of clips of every uh, you know, CSI type show mentioning anal sodomy. Sodomy, sodomy, anal sodomy. Well, he got sodomized by a tank. He got sodomized by a, you know, by a broomstick. Got sodomized by, and it's like, that, that is what, that is what primetime culture we now live in. We can't see tits. We can't see ass. We can't say a swear word, but we can fuck you. <laughs> talk about getting fucked in the ass by a broom as much as we want. Well, I was even going to say like some of the autopsy scenes on CSI oh, because yeah. I mean they will literally show like uh pulling the skin forward off the skull and letting it like flop on the face and they'll show like you know taking the saw and cutting open the skull and things like that and it's such a contrast as we derived a lot of humor from the fact in the last episode <laughs> that I'm watching Quincy which he's the original CSI and the fact that like when he's doing an autopsy uh, you just see the hands you don't really see what's under well the, the camera is panning up like from the body and and he's talking into a tape recorder of what he's seeing. You don't even see him pull up like uh, gloved hands with blood on them. Ah, see? Uh, I am like I'm now a few episodes into the second season, and for the very first time, you have seen a body on a gurney with the feet sticking out. Hmm. And yet now, on network television, I mean, some of the blood and guts that are on the CSI type shows. Uh, 
would be like in an R-rated movie. Oh, yeah. I bet you they would not even get a PG rating from the MPAA. Yeah. And there it is on, on television at 9 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, stunning. But, but if you want still, to see, can't, yeah. still can't show tits or ass. If you want to see boobs, you know, go to Italy. Yeah. It's like that joke from Modern Family. In, in Italy, they use boobs to sell cereal. Mm, must be good cereal. <laughs> uh, acid wash, my friend. Why is uh-huh. it? Why do you think acid wash is so maligned? Because it is. It is. It's pretty much universally detested. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's the uh, revisionist history, where you know after it happens, people say, "Oh no, that wasn't me." You know, I didn't do that. No, I didn't own that. You know, like, uh, you know, when there was a, when the, the problem with Michael Jackson and the backlash of the, the, uh, molestation charges and all that kind of stuff. And people were like, oh, he's horrible. I didn't like him. Really? Cause everybody on the planet owned his albums. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there was nobody who didn't own his albums and everyone loved him and everyone thought he was wonderful and everyone sang his songs. So, you know, just because now you say, oh, after the fact, oh, no, that wasn't me. Yeah, everyone had ashes washed. We all went to school. Everyone owned something like that. It's just, you know, you, you can't revise history and say, oh, that wasn't me. It was you. It was you and me and everybody else. So why is it hated now? Because it wasn't that cool. Same way that, you know, I'm sure people don't want to admit they had a leisure suit or something. Well, that's it, it's funny because... Um I was going to go back to some of the 70s fashion, and the closest antecedent I can think of would be like bell-bottoms. Mm-hmm. And bell-bottoms obviously were very dated, and, I mean, hell, in the 80s, they even <laughs> went the extreme with the boot cut to where the, the the bottoms were so tight you couldn't even get them up over your calf, you know? Um, but the hatred that people seem to have for acid wash the only similarity I can think of would be like the disco backlash and how people hated <laughs> disco uh, for for several years. People just seem to hate acid wash passionately, and I don't know why. Yes, it's very it's a very dated look. Yeah. If you were to walk into your office today wearing acid wash oh, jeans, God. everybody'd laugh at you. <laughs> but, but but why y'all be hating, playa? <laughs> I think it's because it's dated. You know, it's now too much of that era, just like disco. When we were compiling our list here, I know you'd uh, you'd talked about Stonewash, and I got to admit, uh, I have a hard time telling Stonewash from Acid Wash. Yeah, I was going to make that seem. <laughs> I think Acid Wash has a bit more dark in it, and Stonewash is more uniformly light colored. Is that the distinction? I, I would think so. Yes. But still, I think both of those are kind of, to me, in a similar vein of that, you know, uh, dated look. Either one of those, if you, you know, showed up at your, <laughs> showed up at your job, <laughs> people would point and laugh. <laughs> and then also on the fashion front, the mullet. <laughs> and the, now see, that one is a, a clash of hairstyles. Yes. Totally maligned, yet everyone had it. I had a mullet. I had a sweet ass, beautiful mullet. <laughs> And I'm not ashamed of it at all because I'm actually glad that I had a mullet considering now that I have to shave my head because of my MPB, male pattern baldness. Of course, now I have to give my standard caveat of I did start shaving my head before the MPB. <laughs> but, but did you shave it because you knew it was coming? 
I shaved it because I knew it was coming and I wanted to see what kind of head that I had because I wanted to find out before it was an emergency if I had like a Gorbachev jam stain on my head. That's why I did it. And then I found out that it was so much easier never having a bad hair day. And then several years later, I tried to grow my hair out and discovered, hey, what do you know? There's not a whole lot left. So here we go. But I had a sweet-ass mullet. I mean, it was like going down halfway halfway down my back, and it was beautiful, and I wish I had more pictures of it because it was really rocking, and it was awesome. And I'm not ashamed of it at all. Yeah. And I'm really, what? what's so wrong with business in the front, party in the back? Um. Nothing except for the fact that it's so dated and maligned. <laughs> That's really, you know, you know Barry Melrose. Yes. Who does hockey commentating and who still rocks a mullet. It's kind of a short I mullet, mean, though, isn't it? Last time I saw it, it still was was uh, very, very obviously, you know, long in the back there. That, uh, I mean, it's just way more of a, of a mullet than anyone in you know, 2012 should be rocking, but he's still doing it, and I'm sure he's doing it unironically. Because like the um, the mullet that Steve Perry had in the Separate Ways video, I don't even consider that. That's almost not even a mullet. Like the mullet that I had, it was almost a full Bolton. <laughs> I'm going full Bolton. <laughs> talking a sweet ass luxurious mullet i I was all in (laughs) yes you were that is true you were all in for that and now you couldn't have well people do still have mullets i mean there are some people kind of on the outer rings of my life you know you know people that i know who then have people that are important to them who have mullets and seem to ignore the fact so I can't really step in. It's not my place to say. Could you really encourage them to move on? <laughs> Live in the now. Live in the now. Because you just you can't you can't do that. Yeah. Anymore. Well, you know, I, I I have I desperately need a haircut in my. I my noticed that you're getting yes. a little shaggy. Oh yeah. Working at home will do that. Huh? Exactly. That's it. You know, I just sort of like you know, <laughs> I, when I go out, I have I have a hat to put on and and it hides a multitude of sins. So uh, I just sort of I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But I really need to get to it because it's you know my, my oh, unfortunately is Lil threatening to do it in your sleep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. She is, as a matter of fact. But it's just. I wish I wish I could get a long flowing hair. I want rock star hair, but it never it just it grows out like a white afro, and it's just not pretty. <laughs> well, yeah, because you you made an attempt at that in the early nineties when we were in so college, many times. <laughs> and it kind of started turning into kind of uh, long think, long run era Don Henley meets Sideshow Bob kind of a thing. <laughs> Sideshow Bob. Ouch. Because, you know, in the, for the long-run era, Don Henley sort of looked like the lost member of the Jackson 5. <laughs> if anybody remembers. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, that was not pretty. I, I think uh, I think Brandon called it a rat's nest. So, yeah. well, some, so, Wasn't it Ricky that said you look like a ram? Which I never quite understood that. <laughs> she called you a ram. And I'm not really, I don't. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not sure where that. No, I have no idea. Girls, they're so weird. <laughs> On the female front, 
there was what I, uh, see, I guess most people, most people call it the poof. I call it the hair claw. The that thing in front that girls had that they yeah. teased up really high because then it would kind of match the curls they had framing their face. And so it kind of, from the front, gave this kind of full mane kind of look. Mm-hmm. But when they turned to the side, it actually just looked like a seashell or a claw or something <laughs> kind of growing out of their forehead. Yes. Yeah, I have no idea what that was. <laughs> it's just... Whoever started that, I mean, I, that was one of those ones where I, I, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I mean, the girls now, they just call it big 80s hair. I mean, at the time, in my school, they called them uh, fluff chicks. Was that? I I, I had not heard that, but okay. I, that, I, I I hear that as the porn terms. <laughs> that would have been, No, not a fluffer. Fluffer. They called them fluff chicks because their hair was fluffy. Fluffy. Um, I didn't know how widespread that term hmm. was. I had not heard that. But we all know what we're talking about. And oh, yeah. Any, oh, yeah. Gr- any girl any girl that grew up in the 80s. But I'd love to know where that started. I mean, you, you normally you can trace things to a to a person or to a movie or to a something, but yeah, it, I have it, no it had, idea. It had to have started in California, right? Oh, it'd have to. But the Valley Girls, maybe? Hmm. Of course, the Valley Girls had a, a pretty heavy punk influence. Yeah. None of the Go-Go's had hair like that. No. Uh, yeah, where, where did yeah. girls pick up on that? Yeah, I, I can't think of any, you know, 80s, you know, girl or girl groups, any of the, you know, Madonna, Bangles, you know, Go-Go's, any of those types of, that had anything that looked like that. Hmm. Well, ladies... If we have any female listeners out there, you'll have to let us know how the... Uh, how did you catch on to it? How did the hair claw, how did the the, the hair poof, how did that... <laughs> how did that make its way into your life? Uh, you had also mentioned that you wanted to make sure that we talked about the WWF. <laughs> and I think that is a, a worthy a worthy topic and kind of a, a tale of... Almost a tale of two cities with... How innocent the WWF was back in the eighties. So, well, the reason I knew it, and I think this would probably offend people who actually enjoyed the uh, thing at the time, was uh, Cindy Lauper had a video for uh, "Girls Just Want to Head Fun," uh, and her father was played by Captain Lou Albano in the video. Captain Lou Albano was a wrestler, so at some point MTV got involved with wrestling. And she was involved in it, and they did some sort of big special that I remember watching, and that's how I come to know came to know what the the WWF was. And then, you know, I started hearing you know kids at school talking about it, and I kind of, you know, learned about what it was. But you know, Cindy Lauper, you know, was was my in on <laughs> World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, the the first WrestleMania I think was in '84. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan were kind of you know, the big team at that point. That you know, Mr. T was another mainstream celebrity that had kind of come into the fold. <laughs> but at that point, uh, wrestling was not open about the fact that things were staged, so it was still we were many years away from sports entertainment and being marketed <laughs> that way and you also didn't have it's not as though i watch wrestling now but uh from my did you watch when you were a kid 
Oh, yeah, I watched when I was, I think everybody did when they were a kid. You kind of had to. But it was much more about the matches and all the kind of storylines, quote unquote, mm-hmm. sort of took place between Smack Talk, uh, in the pre-match interviews. It, it, apparently, mm-hmm. I think now it's a lot more drawn out and they have like cameras outside the ring and little sketches happening, oh, little yeah. dramatic scenes and stuff like that. That was to come later. Yeah, I, I oddly enough, I just happened to be flipping through Netflix and I saw something that was called "Oh My God, the 50 Greatest Moments of the WWE." Now, and I started watching that because Laura wasn't around. I knew she would not want to watch that, so, and I just you know I watched like the first 20 of them, and it was just really interesting to me. You know, I'd love to to read a book about how it came from the 80s to now because there was a lot of really interesting. Um, Stories of behind the scenes stories, you know, the, you know, the coming of age of, you know, this seventies thing that I think was kind of big, but not really as big as it, what it became in the eighties. And then with MTV, somehow it totally exploded and you had these heroic icons of, you know, the Hulk and, uh, the Iron Sheik and all these kind of things. And then it kind of went away and then it came back in the nineties. And then there was this whole thing where, you know, uh, WCW was trying to compete. Uh, compete with them, and then uh, the WWF buys them out and turns them into each other, and then they st- still kind of write this war between each other, and then, you know, the 90s happens, and all these uh, superstars come out of there, you know, uh, The Rock and Steve Austin and uh, um, John Cena and all these guys who now have become, you know, Somewhat movie stars in there, you know, and it's just, and you know, and then somewhere in there was the, uh, the Vince McMahon football, you know, the series, XFL. XFL, which I enjoyed. And, you know, I would love to, to see something about, you know, how all of that happened. I don't know if there's anything like that, but watching that made me think that, that there's a lot of really interesting stories that I don't know, uh, much about, but I'd love to, to hear something about those. Because it's really, I mean... Professional wrestling is as much like video games. I mean, it died, and oh, then yeah. came back. Because it was... It, was, it, was, it died it, a couple it was, of times. It was a huge fad in the 80s. It was very big for a number of years, and then it petered out. And then when it came back in the 90s, it came back bigger than it ever had been. I mean, wrestling now is much bigger than it was in the 80s. Oh. And it was pretty big in the 80s. Yeah. But now they're selling out... Uh, arenas and events all the time, and now they travel, you know, across the world to do these things. I mean, I've seen that they're they're starting to do these things in Europe and stuff now, and it's. But I'm still suspicious of anyone over 15 who watches wrestling. Well, I remember, you know, and I, and you, uh, you may remember this, and when I was, uh, Jason and I would hang, would go to these like uh, so, BW3s, and so you're see saying that, I should be suspicious of you? Is that well, what you're no, but it, it, I can totally see that. Uh, this was right about the end of the time where uh, The Rock was getting out of that thing and becoming a, a wrestling star. And we would go to a, a, bar, a local bar, and they would have the pay-per-view event on there, and you would just go in there and sit and drink beer for six hours while this thing goes <laughs> on. And it, it was a sold-out crowd through the, you know, the entire bar, and they would all just be hooping and hollering and cheering. It was a lot of fun. It was almost like, you know, having been in bars where you would have like a a local contest like, you know, a Browns game, and everyone would just sort of cheer and have fun. That was kind of what it was like, and it was, you know, once a month. Yeah, my, my brief my brief career as a bouncer. 
Oh, yeah. We, the bar that I worked at, had all the wrestling pay-per-views, so I am very familiar with the kind of crowds that it would attract. But I, I thought everyone there, even though there seemed to be a large cross-section of people in there from young to old, and, and there was lots of people there, I thought everyone just seemed to be having fun. Uh, the crowds that were at the place I worked, it was just all guys who looked like they couldn't get a date. Oh, oh well, this one was much more family-oriented <laughs> than ours, which to me always surprised me. I, I was surprised that there was such a cross-section of people in that thing. It was but pretty, much, it was was pretty much a friendly. bar full of people that you knew when the matches were over, they were going to go home and masturbate to pornography. It was very, <laughs> cre- it was very creepy. Oh, wow. It was very creepy. And see, I didn't really see that there was much, like... There wasn't a lot of sex involved in one of that thing. You know, they, every so often they'd have like they'd have like one girl on girl match. Oh, in the eighties? No, when when Jason and I were going, this was oh. uh, you know mid to late nineties. That's interesting because I mean, sex and, was a big part. Sable really and China like, and all that. And, and there was, it wasn't it wasn't uh, hit you over the head, and it wasn't like every match had to show you know some girl who was barely wearing clothes or anything. It really was more about storylines and you know um you know i don't know it, it seemed more like uh like a well-written as i've always said it, it seems like it's a well-written or a, a soap opera for guys yeah and which is really what sports are yeah but i think this one's much more choreographed well sure i mean it's sports entertainment yes but, exactly. but sports has always been soap operas for men it's just that you know guys don't want to accept that and since men run the world, that's why there's a sports section, but not a soap opera section in the newspaper. You know? <laughs> well, we, we, they've killed the soap opera Well, now. yeah, now, <laughs> of course. Uh, you'd mentioned uh, before the show members-only jackets. Which I had one. Did you add one? I did, except yeah. I didn't really realize that that's what it was. Uh, so why would <laughs> members-only only make one style of jacket? It was. It was pretty much it had the... Actually, the jacket that I have now is kind of reminiscent of it because it ha- it doesn't have the it doesn't have the the collar flaps. It kind of goes up, right? Sort of like a Nehru jacket. Mm-hmm. But then, like the, the the members only thing had kind of like a band of fabric that kind of ran through it, right? So you could kind of seal it, sort of like a bow tie with no bow. Wasn't that kind of a hallmark of the members only jacket to kind of seal up that? I was mine cuff. had like uh, had a, had a thing where it went across your. Uh, yeah. Like a thing when there, and then a, a loop over there that snapped onto your thing and had absolutely no purpose. It, there was nothing holding it on. There wasn't any other than having fabric and a snap. I mean, it was like the Michael Jackson, you know, zipper jacket. The zippers, yeah. You know, it seemed non-functional, but just a style. And it's, to me, that's what the, the members only jacket was. It was, not functional style, but more just style for style's sake. And were they available everywhere, or was this like only available in certain stores? I mean, I, like I said, I sort of tripped into my members-only jacket. I didn't even realize I owned one in, until many years later when people started talking about members-only jackets. And I was like, oh, yeah, I had one of those. Yeah, I don't even remember where I got mine. So, And frankly, having always been gigantically uh, taller than everyone else, I, I'm quite sure I must have gotten it at a... At a tall shop, specialty so. store. So and they must don't, have been they don't make them anywhere. any. I mean, is members only even in business? Are they still making different kinds of jackets? Do they still make those? Are they gone for good? Hmm. The reason I ask is because it seems to be the preferred jacket of sexual predators. <laughs> really? I mean, it doesn't. When you think about, you know, a child molester, <laughs> aren't they usually wearing a members only jacket? 
maybe they all just got stuck in the 80s. So is there like sexual predator warehouse oh, where you can order your members only jacket? <laughs> maybe that's who the members are now. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the members. Did they just want to wear something that had the word member in it? <laughs> wink, wink. I mean, is that... <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know any to ask, but I'm, I'm sure we'll. Are you a sexual predator? Let us know and tell us why you like your jacket. If you're a sexual predator, send us, send us your thoughts on that. We will forward your email to local law enforcement. No, no, we wouldn't, we won't do that. No, we won't do that. So please send us an email. No, you'll win a prize. Send us your address. That's why I always love those stories where, you know, like in some news thing where they say, you know, well, we caught a whole bunch of, you know, people who uh, have been avoiding us because we sent them something that said, you know, take this down to your, you know, to this area and we'll give you a free trip to somewhere. Really, people, do you still not get the fact that nothing in life is free? If someone sends you something in your mail and says, you know, come to this, you know, nondescript area and we'll give you something free. If you've already, you know, if someone's looking for you, don't go. Even, uh, yeah, just, you know. So you're, you're giving tips for how sexual predators can avoid well, no, capture? Just, what are you doing here? That's true. <laughs> Answer all your email. Go exactly where everyone's telling you. That's exactly what you say, should If do. you really wanted to catch more of those guys, it sounds like what you want to do is send them a letter about a free members-only check-in <laughs> giveaway. <laughs> Come on down to the Gabriel Brothers on Main Street. <laughs> We've got a truckload of members-only jackets seconds, and we just need to liquidate them. Pennies on the dollar. Sale, sale, sale. Um, a huge fad in the 80s that both of us uh, missed, but it, it was significant, uh, was cocaine. That is true. Cocaine was a, a huge uh, fad in the 80s, and... had to have had an impact on popular culture since so many creative people were taking cocaine. Hmm. Like Whitney Houston? Oh. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Too soon. Too, Too soon. soon. <laughs> um, look, the, the, the only example I can point to, though, is Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. That album has got to be what cocaine sounds like. I love that album. <laughs> I think that, yeah. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. Well, did they did it invent uh, speed metal? Everyone hyped up on cocaine, just wanted to play twice as fast. I don't know. Um, obviously, you know, it impacted pop culture in that Miami Vice was very much about you know the cocaine trade. Uh. John DeLorean, who gave us the Back to the Future time machine, was on trial <laughs> for trafficking in cocaine. Uh, but it just seemed like, you know, I, I was not aware of it because I was young. I was I was not going to parties of that type in the eighties. Yeah, it seemed like it was more uh, of the of the media of the time of the movies and TV shows than anything else. Wasn't the wasn't Bright Lights Big City? Yes, Michael J. Something about cocaine. Yeah, it was about a office worker who gets into the whole coke scene. 
I don't remember if I ever watched that, but I just remember the theme of it. So, yeah, I, uh, I really have no idea. I, the only time I, I ever saw someone doing cocaine was when I was a delivery driver. Oh, really? In the 90s? Yes. And somebody's doing coke in, in the background or something? Yes, we, we were both delivery drivers for a, uh, a service and you would basically call up the service and order from whatever restaurant of their 20 or 30 restaurants. Then we would go to the restaurant, pick it up and deliver it to you. And of course, at the end of the night, you would get these wonderful calls to go in the, to these horrible, sketchy areas of town, uh, where you would hope that they wouldn't, you know, kill you and take your money. Uh, so in this case, you know, uh, I'm driving to this, you know, place where I don't want to be all alone. <laughs> and they made us wear these tuxedo shirts. <laughs> and yeah, really, you really want to be wandering around a ghetto trying to figure out which house to go to while dressed in a cummerbund and tie with a fucking tuxedo <laughs> shirt. Yeah, it doesn't say kill me. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was freaking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but so I get in there, and they say, oh, yeah, we don't have money. And I see in the background that there's someone snorting Coke off of a back table. And I'm like, all right, this is going to end either bad or worse. <laughs> so I'm just saying, all right, well, here's your food. Bye-bye. And I just, I did, I left and got out of there. So did you have to pay for the meal? I, I think, I don't think I did. I'm, I'm pretty sure I must have explained, you know, what was going on and why I was getting the hell out of there. Yes, working at the, the delivery service. It was always funny when you would get the phone calls and some stripper had ordered a dozen oysters and you had to go to the strip club to deliver the oysters to the stripper because it's like, is this a really self-aware stripper who's doing a parody of a stripper and that's why she's ordering oysters? <laughs> yeah, there, there, was, there was no parody there <laughs> other than their lives. Other than their lives? <laughs> oh, really? Come on. That was a... Is that the place still even in business? <laughs> Which one? The Nest? Yeah. Someone told me The Nest is no longer in business. Yeah, I'm completely not surprised. Yes, The Nest. I, I remember John telling me of uh, the stripper there who was, you know, just wasted and crying while giving him a lap dance. That's just like, oh, Wow. <laughs> That's that's dark. Oh, oh yeah. That is very dark. Yeah. Um we've got we've got a couple of other items on our list here. Uh I think that probably the biggest one though is trivial uh, trivial pursuit. Love it. And uh that that kind of came out right in the midst of the video game thing, and, and people were always bemoaning the fact that kids were glued to the TV playing video games, <laughs> and it really kind of resurrected the whole idea of a board game. Except that now I, I own the uh, Xbox version of Trevor Pursuit on, <laughs> so I can now play the board game on TV. So, But yeah, I, 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 I love the knowing the worthless pop trivia, so... And when this thing comes out, uh, it's it, it's some some guys that I think worked in a factory somewhere, and I don't know if they were unemployed or if they were just goofing around or whatever. And uh, the first board, everybody remembers the iconic uh, board where you've got the squares going around. It kind of looks like a wagon wheel. You've got exactly. the squares going around the outside, and then you've got kind of spokes that are coming in towards the circle in the center. Apparently, the original board 
each one of those little squares was a side of a cigarette pack. That's how they made the first board, huh. was by stringing together these cigarette packs. And it would be curious, because uh, I, I think what happened, it's one of those deals uh, where they sold the rights to Trivial Pursuit and thought that they'd made out really good. And then the game ended up selling so freaking much more money that it did not look like that great of a deal. Sort of like the guy who sold the rights to Superman for like 5000 bucks and was like, woohoo, it's 1920 I've got $5,000. <laughs> and now all of his heirs are like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> we could all be billionaires. I think it was kind of similar with Trivial Pursuit. Oh, that's too bad. And uh, how many people did you know who could actually pronounce Genus Edition correctly? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Everybody wanted to call it Genius Edition. Exactly. Even though there was no I in Genus. <laughs> Maybe that was the first test. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't sell this to you. You failed the first test. So that's uh, that's it. 80s fads. Excellent. Any other 80s fads you want to talk about before we sign off? Hmm. Um, cartoons. There was always great '80s cartoons. Great '80s cartoons. Really? Like what? Well, I, I you know, uh, GI Joe, He-Man, um, uh, Inspector Gadget. I mean, just you know, ones that I still see. You know, people. So the, talk syn- about the syndicated or, ones that were on every day after you mm-hmm. got home from school. Yeah. Because Saturday morning cartoons kind of took a nosedive in the 80s, I thought. I did like Dungeons and Dragons, though. Don't remember it. Yeah, they only had one season. But, uh, it was, there were just, there seemed to be a lot of, uh, uh, Transformers. Oh gosh, that was a mm-hmm. huge one. So I, and then, you know, all the, uh, ones that I didn't watch but have, have, you know, survived Rainbow Bright, Gem, uh, my I think they, an 80s cartoon that has a huge fan base is the real Ghostbusters. Really? That's got a huge fan base. Uh, Time Life actually put out the uh, complete collection. <laughs> and there was a, you know, a big, big deal about the packaging. They had like fans vote on what the packaging was going to look like. And, uh, and this know, is the one that actually had the other ones because well, there was, there was one that had... There was a cartoon that was called Ghostbusters that had been on, like, in the 60s and 70s. And when the movie Ghostbusters hit it big, they started reselling that show into syndication to take advantage of the name. And so when the cartoon that came out that was actually based on the movie, that was called The That's Real Ghostbusters, the real. Okay. to differentiate it from this old one that had been pulled out of mothballs to capitalize on the movie's success. Uh Classic concept there. <laughs> and what was what is that? Uh, uh, film people that you like that make ripoffs of uh, oh the movies? asylum. Yes, it's kind of that that concept of the you know if you thought if you've heard of this you might watch this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. That was uh, that that was kind of was a good eighties fan. Well, and a lot of people uh, still regard uh, the Transformers and the, I mean the GI Joe. Oh, all, all of those awesome. things that you mentioned are now out in very lavish complete series sets. I mean the GI Joe one that comes like in a Footlocker. Jeez, and there's now yeah, that was a long a lot of seasons too. So that's probably... and the ones they did for He Man uh, also had a lot of bonus content, uh, and it's it's kind of funny because you would not 
think that, that those kind of cartoons would have aged as well because it's actually because of those cartoons that new regulations were instituted because uh, you know parents felt that they were just daily half-hour cartoons for the toys. Yeah, and they were, but they still had. They were still fun. I mean, you know, and you always had the wonderful, you know, uh, little message to oh, yes. help you out. To, now I know, and knowing's half the battle. <laughs> if you would like more information about zip codes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the uh, Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> thing, yeah. All right, very good. Excellent. So, thank you for listening. Uh, visit us on Facebook, me and Mr. 80s. Send us an email, mr80s at rocketmail.com. Visit our blog, mr80s.wordpress.com. In all instances, we're spelling it M-I-S-T-E-R-8-0-S. And good night, Curtis Armstrong, wherever you are. Booger!